In 1 Samuel chapter 4, I'm going to try to read about 11 verses for us. I'm going to give you a thought tonight that I hope can be a blessing and get you set for some good preaching when Brother Price gets here in just a few minutes. The Bible says, are you with me? I want you to stand with me, please. 1 Samuel chapter 4. <clears throat> and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer. The Philistines pitched at Apex. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. When they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. They slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. The people were coming to the camp of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of the enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh, they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelt between the cherubims. The two sons of Eli, Hopna and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. When the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so the earth rang out, or rang again, I'm sorry. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? They understood that the ark of God, of the Lord was coming to the camp. The Philistines were afraid. Well, they said, God is coming to the camp. They said, Warn to us, for there had not been such a thing hitherto for. Warn to us, who shall deliver us out of the hand of this mighty gods. These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O you Philistines, that ye may be not servants of the Hebrews, for ye have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Philistines fought. Israel was smitten. They fled every man to his tent. There was a very great slaughter for the men of Israel, 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken. Two sons of Eli, Hopni, and Phinehas were slain. Spirit of God, I cannot do one thing without you except fail. And you didn't bring these people here tonight to hear me. They came here to hear from you. And I pray you speak through me to honor you. Thank you for these men, this church, these people. Honor yourself through us. Make us a blessing tonight. I pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen. Be seated. I want to interest you tonight in a long story with some brief points about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, the Old Testament, was a symbolic presence of God himself. When they looked upon it, it was symbolic of God's presence. It was the place where God met with his people. It was the place where the law, the rod, and the shoe bread was placed in the tabernacle. It was the place where the blood was put there once a year at the Day of Atonement. It was the Ark which is made of wood, speaks of his humanity, and the gold speaks of his deity. That's who he is. It's overlaid with that. Peter speaks of the ark in the sense of the angels who spread their wings out, looking into the salvation which the angels desire to look into. Isn't it amazing? When the angels fell, no one went to get them. But when man fell, God came looking for us. I say to you, what a Savior we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this book is about him. If you, miss, if, you miss, if you miss anything, if you miss, if you miss seeing him in this tonight, you're going to miss everything. Because this book is about him. Amen. You got what this book is about. Now, this ark was what led them through the wilderness. The cloud, of course, and also the ark in their presence. They would go there, cross the river, you know, at Jordan. The ark was there. 
The first battle, they came to Jericho. The ark was there around the city. God gives us the victory over all of our enemies. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. Also, it came a time, these people became apathetic to God's ark. He doesn't take them out the first of this battle. They said, go back and get him. We've left him. I want to preach to you tonight, if I can, briefly, on five mistakes I see, six mistakes I see people make about the presence of God. Six mistakes. First one is this. The first mistake I think is this, is that many people think that God can be controlled. Here's what they said. They said, all right, God's not with us now, but I said, if we go get him, though, he'll have to be on our side. They think, but some way they can control God. We, and oftentimes, and you'll have to agree with this, we treat God as a spare tire. Right? I mean, Gulf War comes. Where are we? We're in church, right? Yeah. We, we, we put the Bible in a, an American flag. Sometimes we say, look, God's on our side. And for some reason, we think we can use God and be controlling God in our lifetime. We think we are in control of God, and we know we don't need to better than that, do we not? And we don't, we don't just need God part of the time. Can I get a witness? We need God all the time. Somebody said this. I've got two statements now I think that'll help you. Just two statements have definitely worth your coming, I believe, that I've read here recently. I heard someone say the other day, I think it's good, I'd rather be Peter and James and John asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane than asleep in this age you and I are living in. We have the greatest opportunities, ladies and gentlemen, that's ever been given to any generation. We can preach the gospel around the world in no time. We, we can get the scriptures out, like dear brother back here, Grenada, that we're sitting 250,000, brother Keene, all these guys here, brother Ford, all of you. We, we have the greatest opportunities, do we not? The doors are, the doors are open for us. We, and, and we cannot afford to sleep in this days, because, and we don't need to use God as a spare tower. We need God all the time of our lives. And people, people say, all this stuff about, oh, Putin's going to do this, and Putin does that. I told my people the last three or four weeks, have you ever read Ezekiel 37, 38? You say, well, what's China going to do? Haven't you read where 200,000 men of China is going to come across and God is going to bury him? So what do you got to worry about? I'm asking you, he's in control of things. And, and I'm just telling you that we do not control God. God is in control of things. And is that not true? Sure he is. Yeah, we, we worry about, what about the inflation? Here's what I say to you. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? What about the price of gas? Can I tell you, the greater price ought to be paid of our service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Every preacher in this room, that comes this realization in your life. If you know anything about it, you need God when you need anything. When you need programs, yeah, we need God in our lives. I, uh, May the 5th, 1965, at about 8.20, I surrendered when they were singing, Must Jesus bear the cross alone. I'm grateful for these years. I've had the privilege. I don't like someone was telling me a while ago, I don't have to. Thank God, I get to. I was commending one of our deacons the other day, great man. Great sermon of Christ. And I said, I just want to thank you for all that you all do and the sacrifice you make. He said, preacher, it's no sacrifice. It's a blessing. First mistake we made, we think it can control God. Let me tell you a mistake that the Philistine army made. They thought they could compare God to their God. You know when they captured the Ark of the Covenant? And they take their God into the place of Dagon, their God? They set him up and they get up in the morning and Dagon's fallen down. And they've got to come and pick their God up. I laugh at that every time I read that. Can you imagine how to pick your God up? I'm glad, Brother Moore, in loving kindness, Jesus came, my soul in mercy to reclaim. And in the depths of shame, he lifted me. Thank God he lifted me. Amen. We don't lift our God. He lifts us up. 
He, he lifts up our head with the brooks of the way. We drink of the water, by the way. He lifts us up. And he, can, and he helps us. He Come on. Isn't it wonderful how God has a way of encouraging his people sometimes? Every preacher in here knows what I'm talking about. Or every Sunday school teacher, every singer, you've sung a song, you've taught a Sunday school lesson, you've preached, and you've said, my Lord, what in the world have I done? Biggest flop you ever made in your life. Come on, come on, help me out. About five minutes after church over, somebody sends you a text. That helped me. I think I'll just go ahead and try again tonight. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, here is Dagon. Well, they set their God up again. Next morning, come in. He's lost his legs and his arms and his head. He doesn't have a leg to stand on. Can't get nowhere, can't give a thought. He's gone. Can I tell you? Because you cannot, you cannot compare our God to any God. Who's compared to the Lord our God? There's never been a time he hadn't been omnipotent. Never a time he has not been powerful and might help us in times of need. Never one second in his life he's ever failed us whatsoever. There's none to be compared to him. Psalm 89 verse 6 says, For who in the heavens can be compared unto the Lord? Uh, Deuteronomy 33, 26. You won't have time for all of these. There is none like him, the God of Jeshurun. None like him. Every Sunday night, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, are we always end our services like this way. We always end this way. He's a wonderful Savior. You know what I feel like my job is? My job is, my job is tonight to get you just to love him more. Amen. If I can get you to do that, I try to get my folks just to love him more. It would be a good life for us, would it not? Here's Dagon is gone. They cannot compare him. There's so many scriptures I could read tonight. And, and Isaiah 40, 25, To whom then will you liken me? Who shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? The youth do faint, do they not? And, and even, you know, and, and, but we do, and even we grow weary sometimes. But oh, they that wait upon the Lord, Amen. he faints not. They shall renew our strength. Listen to me. There's help for old preachers too. Come on. Are you listening to me? I came across this the other day. There was a time in David's life when he thought God was saying yes to him. And the preacher had to go back later and tell him, no, he couldn't build the, the tabernacle or the place of worship. When that got done, of course, God came to him and said, said David, you can't build my house because I'm going to build yours. But the, listen, to, listen, listen to this verse of Scripture. In the time of David's disappointment, I want you to listen to what David said. First Chronicles 17, 20. O Lord, there's none like thee. Here's what he said. He said, Lord, even in times of disappointment, there's no one like you. Yeah. I mean, you've been disappointed, haven't you? Sure you've been there. Oh, boy, there's none like you. None like you. None like you. Mistake. Can't control him. Second mistake. You can't compare him. The third mistake is his. Is some of them thought he would change his word. David decided it's time to bring the ark back. He sends some men to get the ark. Of course, I'm telling you the story. I don't have time to develop it. You know the story. And they've got this ark on a new cart, pulling it back. And of course, Uzzah puts his hand forth and God kills him. We'll come to that in a minute. And, but what had happened, uh, these priests that were bringing it back thought God would, had changed his word. Now, what happened there is, is they had done a good thing in a wrong way. Because God said the priests were to bear it on their shoulders. They put on a new cart. Now, where did they get that idea about a new cart? They got it from the Philistines. 
They put that on a, on a cart, bring, bring him back. And the milk cows, they tied up. Remember the story? And, 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 and listen to me, the temptation for ever preaching in this room, I've been preaching 57 years, the temptation is, is the devil tell you, if you'll just change like the world, you get a bigger crowd. Can I tell you that ain't much plus ain't much equals ain't much? Amen. That's right. Come on. That's good preaching. And I promise you, you keep changing all that junk you're changing. Right. You have to change it every year to get more. Amen. Go, go more worldly. Come on. What you doing? But no, we can't go there. We can't, we can't do that because God has not changed. His word has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not changed. He'll never change. Malachi says, I change not. God hasn't changed his word. Thank God. Can I get a witness to that? Thank God. We still got this blessed book to preach, preach out of. Now they had everything they needed. They had men to carry it. <clears throat> they had musicians to play the music. They had methods. They had a motive. But it was wrong. God has a plan for us to do. He's given us this book. This is his book for us to run by, to live by. Can I get it? Can I, come on. Amen. This is it. He changed it not. Well, dear brother, I'm going to be through in just a few minutes. Here's the fourth thing. Mistake we make. That God can be treated as just common. When that ark staggered and fell, he reached out his hand to touch God. God took his life. His eye. You know, I'm afraid we've forgotten the awe and the awesomeness of who God is. He's holy. He's not the man upstairs. That's right. He's not my buddy or my friend. That's right. He's holy. Now, I believe in having a good time. If you're around me very long, you know I'm going to have a good time. But I'll tell you, I'm afraid sometimes as preachers, we diminish the wholeness of God. And we're disrespectful at times. There may be some stories you've told. Things you've done. He's holy. Amen. He's awesome. He's a holy God. You know, it's amazing how <laughs> sometimes we, can I, I, won't, I won't say you, I'll say, I'll, can I say we, maybe we won't feel as bad. We think we can do anything in the world. Watch anything we want to watch. Read books we shouldn't read. Somehow expect the power of God in our lives. It's a misnomer. Mm. It got this quiet down at my place when I said these same things. God can't be controlled. He can't be compared. His word doesn't change. You can't treat him as common. Here's the next thing I want to tell you. You can't approach him without the cleansing blood of his Jesus Christ. Remember the Bethsheba when the ark got over there? As they brought it back on the cow, 
The blood wasn't on it. They looked at it. The Bible says 70,000 of them died. I know it's not popular for us today to preach the blood. And I, I was at a church. A Methodist church had asked me to come and preach for them. Can you believe that? And the preacher didn't show up. He wasn't there, but I preached anyway. When I got up, and as I was preaching, I noticed that they had some uh, good news for modern man. And I said, well, I won't be back, so I might as well. <laughs> I picked one of those up. I said to a guy in the front row, I said, read what that book says in, in what they call Ephesians 1.7. And then we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And I said, now I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what God said about it. Amen. And we have redemption through his blood, either the forgiveness of sins. Yes. But the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Yeah. Come on, is that not right? Yeah, that uh, God cleanses us from our sins in his own blood. Yeah. Right? We know that. So, we still need to preach the blood. Can I get a witness to that? Well, I've got one more point, Doc, and I'm through. This one point has 17 points under it. <laughs> All right, Jeff. <laughs> we make the mistake that God can be contained. David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. His wife is looking at him over the window, and David gets happy. Is to praise in God. Strips him his outer garments off. He starts in, in front of the public people. Just praising God. His wife looks down and says, look at him. Making a fool of himself. I tell you, there ought to be a time in your life that God gets surreal to you. You can't contain it. Amen. Your hands won't stay down. Your feet won't stay on the ground. And your lips won't be quiet. He's saying, praise God, glory to God, hallelujah. It's all right for a Baptist to say hallelujah, isn't it? All right for a Baptist to say glory to God, hallelujah. It's all right for a Baptist sometimes to raise his hand and say, praise the Lord. Come on. Glory to God. Hallelujah. What a Savior. I'll tell you why our churches are dying. Because we come, they're dead. Trying to get people to sing is like pulling teeth. You know, I'm not, I'm not preaching. I'm not preaching. I'm just preaching, all right? If the shoe fits, put it on. But you know I'm telling you the truth. I mean, people come in, they're, they're wore out before they get there. You know, you know it used to, used to be the, the Puritans practiced on Saturday. They called, it a day, they called it a day where they didn't do anything get ready for, except get ready for church. They wouldn't do hardly any hard servile, servile work in those days. They'd get ready for church. And, and what we get there, and, and, and listen, I don't know if it's just, ooh, mm, mm. I don't know if it's frustrates you or not. Don't you see people coming into church like this? I don't have one on me. Come here. That's a cell phone, what that was. <laughs> yeah. There's no excitement about God. No excitement. I mean, somebody gets saved and they go, <sighs> somebody get baptized, they go, I'm going to tell you, a world that's looking for something doesn't want that. Amen. David said to his wife, said, it's going to get worse than this. Amen. So I'm going to be more, more vile. Because God cannot be contained.
What we need is we need a burning, flaming spirit, not of wildfire again, of excitement about God. All of us get excited differently. Come on, we do. Some of us can. Some of us have more free of, of doing, expressing ourselves. But I don't. I've got some folks in myself can really express themselves. I mean, they'll go. Oh! I, I haven't. Got, I haven't got there yet. I wouldn't mind if I could. I hadn't got there yet. We got some. I, I don't have any trouble with that. I mean, I don't have any trouble with that with all. I don't. Then we got some. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's all right. All of us are different. What I'm just saying is there ought to be some excitement about serving Christ somewhere in our lives. And not just, oh no, here we are again. We come in sharp at 11.45 and leave dull at noon. Let me tell you something. About three things, I'm done. Number one, you don't have to advertise a fire. I remember years ago I was preaching in Smithville, Arkansas, and this has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but I'll tell you anyway. Is I moved to a little town, Smithville, Arkansas. 30, 76 people said the whole town. And we were there. But man, we had a, we had a church full the first few nights. We had a, one of the best revival meetings in, in the world. In the world. It was just good. We had, I forget how many people saved. That was back in, back in the 1980s, two or three days ago. <laughs> and uh, there was atheists in the town that 50 people visited with him one night. He came to church on a Friday night and got saved. You hear about the atheists? The church caught on fire. And the atheist came down, and one of the church members went to have some fun with him and said, first time we've ever seen you at church. He said, first time it's ever been on fire. I'm through with one statement. It'll be enough for you when you hear this one. I have no idea where I read this. I have no idea. But I thought it was a good statement. The Bible speaks of the church of Laodicea being lukewarm. A man I was reading after said this, and I'm through with this. Lukewarmness is the greatest form of blasphemy. One more time. Lukewarmness is the greatest form of blasphemy. Here's why. Because it says, I believe in you, God. You just don't excite me. 